We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, everybody? This is Chris Biederman, and you are listening to Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you think it's weird that you're hearing my voice first, it's because Kyle Madsen is on vacation, some uh, much-deserved time off for him. So I made a call to the bullpen uh, and, and got a very special guest. It's Matt Mayoko. Hey, Matt, would you rather come in from the bullpen or pinch hit in a key situation? I think I would rather come in from the bullpen and just, just like go out of my mind. I'd have, well, first off, I'd have the music that I would enter to uh, from the bullpen. And then I'd be like on a pitch count, like probably anything more than like 12 pitches. And then I'm shot. So, but I guess in today's rules, you have to, what, what do you have to do? Face three batters? Is that right? Is that, you the know what? Rule? I don't, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even know. I should know this rule as a former, former baseball guy. What would your, what would your entrance music be? Oh gosh. It'd probably be, uh, like, you know, something really out of place. Something <laughs> like, uh, um, you know, Judy Garland over the rainbow, you know, something like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's, that's fitting. I, I yeah. can see that. Um, you know, something well, yeah. that all the fans can sing along with. <laughs> so it really intimidate the, uh, the opposing hitter. 100%. Yes. Um, yeah. You're all about intimidation. If I've learned anything. It, isn't it, um, <laughs> University of Iowa, their, the visiting locker room there, I don't know yes. if it still is, but it used to be painted pink, correct? Yes, yes. That would be the idea or what I'd be going with for right. that kind of walk. Uh, it's, I don't think it's called walk-up music because that's for the batter, but uh, bullpen entry music. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's uh, I, I can say one of my favorite sports experiences was going to old Yankee Stadium and seeing uh, – Mariano Rivera come out to enter Sandman and just like the atmosphere completely changed. So it's probably a similar dynamic to what you're talking about coming into over the rainbow or whatever that did, song is. Did I think that that really started to become a thing in the movie Major League, right? When, oh yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, it was Charlie Sheen, right? When he would enter to uh, yes. um, uh, uh, Wild Thing, that yes, was absolutely. one of the that was one of the great things ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, well, Chris. Well, it's been good talking to you about the 49ers. <laughs> I got to run here. So yeah, you got you got an important phone call or what? Yeah, how about that, huh? Uh, <laughs> um, so Matt and I just got off the Zoom call uh, about 
uh, a little more than an hour ago uh, with Trent Williams. And the 49ers formally announced his uh, his six-year contract coming back after a very successful season for him personally in uh, in 2020. And I thought it was some pretty interesting stuff. Trent Williams talked about, I mean, the thing that, that I really took away from it was he was really close to signing with the Chiefs. And it sounded like Kyle Shanahan had to do some... Um, some last minute FaceTiming while, while Trent and his crew were at dinner at 13 in, uh, in Houston. And, and the 49ers were able to get the deal done. I think they, they probably came in with, with that extra year. Um, I'm sure the money was, was a pretty significant part of it. And, and Williams talked about being really close with, with the Shanahan's, both Kyle and his dad, Mike, obviously who he played with previously. Um, so Matt, what was your uh what was your takeaway? Uh what what are you what's NBC Sports Bay Area's website gonna gonna headline with coming out of that phone call? Well, I did like what he said and, and to me the kind of the takeaway was that uh you know, with the experience level that he has that and he kind of knows how the game works, he was either going to uh Sign somewhere for a heck of a lot of money that he didn't want to go, or he was going to be somewhere where he wanted to be, but he was going to take basically a hometown discount. And so it was interesting to hear him put it in those terms because he has been someone who has been at a place that he didn't want to be and was completely miserable, at least during the, the last few years of that. And then he was with the 49ers last year, uh, still making good money, but under market value for that final year of the contract. And he did want to be at a place where he trusts people. So that was, to me, that was kind of the takeaway because I think you, you do see that around the league is that, you know, if guys could write their own ticket um, and, and still get the best money, you know, very few people would probably end up signing with the team that, that gave them the most money. So, you know, that, that was, uh, and I've, I'm always entertained by Trent because he's, I've, I've yet to meet him in person, yet to stand at his locker, uh, obviously because of how the 2020 season played out and you, me, you know, nobody else who covers the team, uh, made it to Levi Stadium and had any kind of face-to-face interaction with these guys. But he just comes off as somebody who's very genuine and, and bright and knows the business aspect of it, knows his position, knows the game. And I, I just find him to be a, a very pleasant person to, uh, to, you know, ask questions over Zoom to. And that's, the reason he won our the Gary Niver Award last year that goes to the uh, the Forty Nine er player who's most cooperative and professional in dealing with the media. So I'm 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 happy that he's he's sticking around because I, I I'm uh, yeah I want to meet him and want to get to know him a little bit. Yeah, and and us giving him that Niver is probably a huge factor that he didn't talk about in, in coming back. Well, I think um, that pretty much goes without saying, right? Right. I mean, that, that's right. pretty much. I mean, everybody understands that that's the reason he he really wanted to sign with the 49ers and maybe i don't know i guess maybe the the money had a little something to do with it too yeah i'm waiting for john lynch to to give the media big thanks for for that Um, yeah if we ever talk to john lynch again yeah we haven't so that that's that's the other thing we we haven't spoken to john lynch and kyle shanahan since january 4th um a couple days after the season ended and and there are a lot of questions that that I think we all have a lot of pertinent questions, um, even, you know, not necessarily relating to the quarterback, though those questions are absolutely going to get asked. But the, the thing I, I'm curious about, and I don't know, you know, I, I it, this would, would have been a better question maybe before the Williams signing happened, but I'm going to end up asking you, um, how important was this from an organizational perspective, bringing Trent Williams back? Because the way I look at it is, you know, this might have forced them to to completely shift their offseason thinking. And, you know, you think about potentially using that first round pick, number 12 overall, on a tackle. Maybe having to, you, you have to do that potentially if you don't bring Trent Williams back. Um, are you more aggressive in getting a pass rusher or a cornerback in free agency if you don't give Trent Williams all that money? Um, and, and I think ultimately it's, it's a really good development for the 49ers to bring him back because 
you know, they basically would have lost him for nothing. They would have gotten a comp pick next year, but it wouldn't have helped them uh, in 2021 when they when they have eyes of, of you know to get back to the Super Bowl. Um, so, Matt, in your mind, how how big of a of a deal is it for the 49ers to get Trent Trent Williams back, just in terms of the overall um, effect it has on on their ability to to put together a contending roster this offseason? I honestly don't think it can be overstated. I think you're talking about one of the most important positions on the team as far as just how it impacts everybody around you, including the quarterback. So obviously I'd say quarterback is, is the most important position on the team. Then I think, I think left tackle is probably the second most important. You could argue an edge rusher, uh, but you know, one great edge rusher, and one bad edge rusher maybe doesn't make as much difference as, you know, two good edge rushers. I, I, I just, but I just think with the 49ers, there was, I just saw no clear path for them to replace Trent Williams without impacting the offense, uh, to a degree where there would have been a huge fall off. From last season. I mean, left tackles, part of what made this so intriguing, even in the mind of Trent Williams, is that left tackles are never available on the free agent market. And that's why, you know, there were teams out there making a big push to sign him, even though I think every team realized that they were going to be kind of up against it because he has his money. And he found, you know, some level of, of bliss with the 49ers and enjoyed himself and has an offensive line coach in Chris Furster who he's very tight with and obviously a head coach in Kyle Shanahan that he's known forever as well. So the, if, if Trent Williams had gotten away from the 49ers, who's their starting left tackle? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know who, I mean, would it be, you know, Daniel Brunskill? Would it be Justin School? Would it be Sean Coleman? Whoever you put in there is going to be a significant upgrade from basically having your best offensive lineman at the spot that's the most important position to having, let's face it, would have been your worst offensive lineman at the most critical position. And then if you're going to throw all your eggs in the, in the basket of the draft, well, are you going to stay there at 12 and just hope, you know, the guy you want is there or do you go up and get him? Or if you stay pat at 12, do you end up reaching for an offensive lineman that shouldn't be taken in the first 20, 25 picks in the draft? So, to me, regardless of what it costs to get Trent Williams, it, you, they had to do it. They absolutely had to do it. And the fact that I think, you know, you, me, uh, Richard Sherman, everybody said from the beginning it was going to take 20 million a year to re-sign Trent Williams. That's the number he came in at. I mean, I realize that, you know, that phony kind of phony sixth year pushes him over the top for average, you know, the pump bumps the average up to 23 million a year. But let's face it. I mean, the, the contract is basically a three year, $60 million contract, or it's a two year, $40 million contract. It's, it's 20 million a year, which is not chump change, but for what he meant and, and what he brings to the table and how well he fits that offense. That's the other part of it about this too. Is that, you know, Mike McGlinchey is a really good run blocker over there on the right side. You know, as probably behind Trent Williams, the, the second best offensive tackle in the league. But last year, and we'll see if he can really tighten up his pass blocking. He, he's nowhere near Trent Williams from that standpoint. I mean, Trent Williams gives Kyle Shanahan, the absolute best of both worlds, which is a, a lights out left tackle who doesn't require help, as well as being an outstanding run blocker who can you know, hit move, smaller moving targets 15, 20 yards down the field. So yeah, I, 
As you can tell, Chris, I think it was pretty important for them to re-sign Trent Williams. Well, yeah, and it's also important because you mentioned it, like the most important positions in football are quarterback, left tackle, and edge rusher, maybe cornerback too. Um, but the the quarterback position is impacted directly by, by bringing back Trent Williams. And so uh, obviously you look at, you know, I think you and I are, are in agreement and have said it uh, throughout the offseason that the most likely scenario is that the 49ers are going to bring back Jimmy Garoppolo. And if that's your plan, then obviously you need to have a good offensive line in front of him because really the number one concern with Jimmy Garoppolo is is his durability. And you don't want Jimmy Garoppolo taking a beating back there. So from that standpoint, it's obviously a very big deal for the 49ers. But, you know, there's always going to be chatter about quarterback. And, and some of that is just the nature of the position. I think any team that doesn't have one of the, you know, three or four or maybe five best guys in the league, there's always going to be chatter about the quarterback position. And there have been reports that the 49ers were, you know, they checked in on Matt Stafford. They didn't formally give Detroit um, an offer, and that's according to, to Albert Breer of the MMQB. But, Matt, do, do you still hold hold firm in, in that belief that it's most likely going to be Jimmy Garoppolo? And, and if you were to evaluate the chances of the 49ers maybe making a move in the draft, potentially to move up for, you know, one of the four or five top quarterbacks in this class, where what do you – how do you – how likely do you think that happens? Well, first off, I, w- I want to kind of rewind. When he got injured that second time, my knee-jerk reaction was that Garoppolo is done with the 49ers. And I thought the 49ers would, would look to move on from him. And the thinking from my standpoint was that there were going to be a lot of crazy things happening around the league this offseason because of the diminishing salary cap. Um, and then once, you know, several weeks after that and right around the, the last game or two of the season, you started hearing Kyle Shanahan take questions about Garoppolo and spin it in a more favorable light. And John Lynch kind of followed suit. And so then I thought, okay, they've done their due diligence you know, Parag Marate has made phone calls. He kind of has a good sense of, of where this offseason is going. And it, my thought was that the 49ers had determined already kind of predicting where the, the quarterback market would go, who might be available, et cetera, et cetera, that it, it wasn't going to make sense for the 49ers to, I should turn my, Phone on the vibration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, let's let's do that. You have that ability. So, <laughs> what I thought at that point was that okay, it's 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 looking like Garoppolo is going to return with the 49ers, and you know that is the most likely scenario. But they still kind of kept you know they hedged just a little bit because you know which is reasonable. You can't predict everything that's going to happen or, you know, who's going to fall in the team's lap, all that stuff. But, you know, I guess basically since the week after the season or, you know, the final game and through now, my thought all along has been that, you know, the most likely scenario is that Garoppolo is the starting quarterback and nothing, you know, not the reports that, you know, they were close to, uh, trading for Matthew Stafford or they're in on this guy, the, you know, the, the Sam Darnold stuff, nothing has, has changed my mind from that. And then of course, when, you know, a guy who's in his prime and who can, you know, such a mobile, agile, uh, new age quarterback like Joe Flacco, you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever he gets signed by the Eagles, then it really, you know, drives it home that yes, it does look like like Garoppolo will be back. And I still, and I don't think anything that can happen short of Deshaun Watson is going to change that opinion of mine that Garoppolo will be the starting quarterback. I, I think even if they get Sam Darnold, which I don't sense is, you know, imminent or anything like that, but I think even if they get Sam Darnold, even if they, they trade for a quarterback in the first round, I don't think anything changes. I, I still think they're, they're going to want Garoppolo on the team because, 
hey, let's face it, for the 2021 season, who gives the team the best chance of winning among all the options we've talked about other than Deshaun Watson? Yeah. And I think the answer is Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I agree. And and the Deshaun Watson thing is obviously taking a, a, a pretty dramatic turn as we speak. I think Oh really? What's going on there? Yeah, there were um I, I think two other two two more women, I think that makes the list sixteen total, um, that have accused uh Watson of, of sexual misconduct. And um I don't want to talk about it too much in terms of editorializing on the uh you know, on, on all of that, but I do want to ask you, is, is Deshaun Watson untradeable at this point right now? I would think so. I would yeah. think so. And, and again, like I, you know, I, I would think that any team that called the Texans previously and asked about his availability in a trade, if the Texans today were to call back any of those teams, I think those teams would say, Hey, can we, uh, you know, can we kind of hit the brakes a little bit here? You know, I, I would think any team would have to do a very thorough deep dive into the allegations just to just. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed to see well i mean for obvious reasons right i mean it yeah, would be yeah. it would it would be complete front office malpractice not for any team to spend a lot of resources into figuring out what they are and what they aren't comfortable with and i can't imagine any of the 32 teams in the league would be comfortable with where things stand right now not to say that things couldn't change in in a week or two or three, but right now, I mean, I just, I can't imagine any team would want to move forward with bringing him to the team. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so um, uh, somehow I'll smoothly transition to to the defensive side of the ball. And and I'm just, you know, we we haven't heard from D'Amico Ryans either, um, the 49ers' new defensive coordinator. And, uh, I think, you know, we're all dying to ask him questions in terms of what the defense is going to look like. Are there going to be schematic changes? Um, everything like that. Do you, do you have any feel on, on what the 49ers defense is going to look like under D'Amico Ryans? What type of coach he is? Um, and, uh, just given that, uh, given what we know sort of about D'Amico Ryans and, and the few chances we have had to, to talk with him to this, to this point? I, I don't, my sense is in, I have talked to a couple of the defensive players and they all seem to think that it's going to be a lot more aggressive. And I, and you know, last year I thought the 49ers were pretty aggressive defensively. You know, I think they had to be because that front four wasn't nearly as good as it was in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. So there, they they did blitz a lot more, and I think I think that's basically what uh, the guys I've talked to 
kind of think that, that D'Amico will, you know, will take some calculated risk that maybe Robert Sala didn't take. And I, I also know that James Batcher, who comes over as the senior defensive assistant and, um, he was a, a defensive coordinator with the Cardinals. And when he was there, the Cardinals were ultra aggressive. I mean, they, they came at you a lot. So I do think that, that maybe last year being the, um, kind of the outlier, because I don't think that Robert Sala wanted to, you know, dial it up and bring more than four guys very often. But because they had absolutely, I mean, very little juice with the pass rush last season, um, I think he, he had to, and it still wasn't very successful. So, but I, I do think that maybe, uh, that's something that, that D'Amico will scheme up a little bit more, uh, that, that they will bring more pressures, but, you know, and, and I still think that the foreigners do have some issues with the outside pass rush. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think as long as, I think they have to put Nick Bosa on a pitch count, you know, regardless of how, how he is, uh, you know, coming back from the ACL, they can't have him play as much as he did his rookie season. So that means that, you know, I, I still think Bosa should be a very good player. You know, I'm sure he'll, if he's healthy, Throughout this season and into next year, he'll be a much better player in 2022 than he is, than he will be in 2021. But I'm, I'm still not really sold on anybody they have on the other side. I mean, we still don't know if D Ford, you know, if he'll play again or if he can be healthy or he can be anything what he, you know, like what he was previously. Um, Samson Ebukam is a guy that, you know, his best sack year is four and a half sacks. So that's, built more on potential and projecting him to to be a guy who can take that next step. Jordan Willis is back. Um, you know, wh- I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody in that group of these these guys that I just mentioned other than Bosa and even him. You know, he has the question marks with the the knee. I don't think there's anybody there that that necessarily scares an offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, how are we going to block this guy? So I, I, I still think they have some things to figure out on how they can get a pass rush that even comes close to what they had in 2019. Yeah. And right before we came on, um, Kerry Hyder signed with the Seahawks, uh, which is, which makes sense given that there's, there always seems to be a connection between 49ers free agents and, and Seattle Seahawks. Um, and we saw it with Akella Witherspoon going up there last week. Um, and, and Kerry Hyder's a good player. Yeah. But I don't think he's, you know, he's not a great player. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know that he's, I mean, he's, he, he's perfect. He's like a, a Ronald Blair type of player where if he's your fifth best defensive lineman, then you're feeling pretty good. Yeah. But if he's your starter, uh, now I know he played really well as a starter last year. But, um, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know that he, yeah, I don't know if he's a, a starter on a really good defensive line. Put it that way. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I would, I would say that what I think the, what the 49ers did in getting Ebu Cam, who's somebody who's super athletic. I know it, a lot of it is just, you know, more or less D Ford insurance or because you're so uncertain about what's going to happen with D Ford. And that's obviously a question we'd have for, for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan because, you know, they, they express optimism that D Ford would get healthy, but there are still a lot of questions. But did they? I mean, I thought Lynch after the season was pretty, you know, like. He said we're going to try. He's, he's, yeah, try and he, but he (laughs) certainly didn't have any guarantees or assurances that D Ford would be healthy, uh, when the season starts. And so to me, that's always kind of a red flag. And I think I'd still be mildly surprised. Or, or I should say, I think I'd, I'd still be surprised, probably not mildly, um, if, if he's, if he's back and he's playing. Mm-hmm. And I'd be even more surprised if he's playing at a high level. Cause he's, yeah. he's one of those guys. He's like a, the, a race car, right? I mean, he's one of those yeah. guys where he, when fine tuned and, 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 you know, full tank of gas and tread on the tires and, and just getting out of the shop, you know, that thing's purring. 
but it doesn't take much to kind of throw off the alignment. Yeah, the Marquise Goodwin of uh, of pass rushers potentially. Um well, that's 25 minutes. I think I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, 25 I'm, I'm minutes. Not... Are we recording? Is this, is this, yeah. I thought this was just our, like, kind of preview and warming up. <laughs> Do you still want to keep going? Cause I can, sure. I, I, I can ask you minutes. stuff. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's keep this going on, on the fly podcast. Let me ask you a question. Now, sure. Go for it. So wh- why not Keysar Chronicles? It doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Yeah. Okay. And people would be going, what's Keysar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcasting okay. is kind of a you know it's you a realize different about, demographic. You realize in about five years, you know, you keep this up or ten years, people will be going now. Candlestick Chronicles. What does that mean? What's candlestick? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if Levi's Levi's Chronicles is is going to roll off the tongue the same way. I think fans still have a pretty positive association with, and you know, and there's the alliteration aspect. It, yeah, there's the alliteration, and I will say this: I grew up. Uh, a Northern California kid. Uh, I loved Candlestick Park because of mm-hmm. what it meant to me. I, I don't think I, I never went to a football game as a kid, but I went to a lot of baseball games, about a 150 mile drive. We would go there and there was nothing better than, you know, just entering that, that concrete edifice and seeing, <laughs> uh, you know, walking up the, uh, on the concourse and the first view of the field was always, I don't oh, yeah. want to get sound too goofy, but it was like magical. And then, you know, you, you get some years behind you, you end up going to that stadium a lot more and you're working at it. And then you realize, Oh my God, this stadium is an absolute pit of a place. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. And, yeah. and then, and then what happens is it's gone. And then people, and I still look back fondly on it just because of the memories and everything and had a lot of good times in there. But, you know, when people start to say, oh, Candlestick, that was a great stadium. That's when you got to say, hey, come on. It, it wasn't a great, it was, it was the worst, one of the worst design stadiums ever, but it was our worst design stadium ever. And so that's, you know, it's kind of magical. Yeah. place to think about but the memory of it is much better than the actual you know what it was like in real time yeah i remember uh god i, for, I actually don't remember because i don't remember who said it but hearing hearing guys who had played for other teams come to the 49ers and talk about how much they loved playing at candlestick just the atmosphere they thought was one of the coolest and and totally agree with that and i you know i, I think we're a little bit um, I think the atmosphere in 2019 was was good, and a lot of that was because the 49ers were actually winning. And I think 49ers fans create a really good atmosphere for a winning team. But Levi's just doesn't have the same charm. Like, I'll never forget the first time covering a game there and and realizing, oh, I have to I have to walk through the crowd to get to the field, and then walk across the field to get to the locker rooms. And there's this tiny little hallway, and it was just. Yeah, you're totally right. But the place just reeked of nostalgia. It was like, well, it know. reeked, all right. <laughs> it reeked, but it was, you know, the seeing all the all the stickers of like all the helmet stickers of every single visiting team and all the old logos in the visiting locker room on that door over there on the left side, and then you know banging that right and and being in that press conference room, that little cramped press conference room, and then you know seeing the pictures inside Levi Stadium and. Joe Montana talking to the media in that same room. Um, it was a really cool building. And, and I think I'll never forget being able to take all those tours that they were giving when they were moving out of uh, candlestick back in 2013 and walking through the hallway, through the dugout and all those things that, that people don't really get to see. And it was just such a cool experience because you know, the locker room was so far away from that dugout. So that tunnel was so long and you just think about the 49ers history and all the teams and all the players and coaches that have walked through there. It was just kind of a cool experience. And, and, you know, that's something that, um, I think, you know, obviously Levi Stadium doesn't have that yet. And maybe they'll recapture it if the 49ers can, can win a Super Bowl here. But, um, yeah, Candlestick was cool, man. I, I, I really enjoyed going there. The, the steak sandwiches. I don't know if you remember the steak sandwiches out. Um, sort of on that concourse when you walked in the gate initially on the ground floor in the nineties, they had the, these big giant fire pits and they would have these incredible steak sandwiches for like 
I don't know, five or six bucks or something on like these big sourdough rolls. And they were so good. Um, and like, I just don't know if there are going to be memories like that at Levi's because everything's so state of the art and all that. Like, I think you sort of lose some of that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the, the fan base, it, obviously I think, you know, they priced out a lot of people, um, going to Levi stadium. So the vibe probably at the stadium isn't as good, uh, as it was at, at candlestick, but that's just part of, you know, that's part of the economics of, uh, you know, upgrading your facility. I'm sure every stadium around the league, I mean, one of my, you know, something that I've thought about was the first time the 49ers went to, um, I can't even remember. AT&T Stadium, I guess it is, in uh, mm-hmm. Arlington or where, wherever that is. In Jer- the, Jerry World. Jerry World, yeah. And it was an early season game. Uh Gosh, was it week one? I mean, it, it was early 2014, in the 2014, yeah. 2014, yeah. Was that week one? Yeah, that was week one, and I remember yeah. it very distinctly because Jay Glazer reported that morning uh the preposterous news that the 49ers would be parting with Jim Harbaugh even if they won the Super Bowl. Oh wow! Which was a, which was a fun thing to wake up to as somebody <laughs> getting ready to go to the stadium for the first yeah. game of the season. I wonder, wonder who the source was on that one. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I I remember like in the in the stadium, uh, you know, we're high above the the field, and how it seemed like eighty percent of the fans were Forty Nine er fans. Yep. And it, I mean, it, it seemed that way. It might have actually been that way. Yeah. It, it certainly was late in the game when the 40 hours took control. And I remember thinking then was that, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. You know, the, the prices are so expensive that cowboy fans are looking to cash out because if they can sell one or two games, you know, a season, maybe they kind of pay for the rest of their season tickets or make it a little bit easier to swallow. And so I think, you know, that that's that's one of the, the things we saw also with, with the 49ers and Levi Stadium was a very similar thing where, you know, you'd see more visiting team fans there for the first few years, especially when the team was losing. And then 2019 is when it it changed. Well, I guess it, well, it, it definitely changed for that season when the 49ers were, were so good and gave their fans a reason to hang on to their tickets. And then of course we, we have no idea, uh, what kind of momentum that would have led to in 2020 because, mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't a fan left led inside that, that building. But, um, I, I think candlestick, I don't think it was as bad for football players as it was for baseball players yeah. because of the kind of the weird little ecosystem there. The weather I think was actually worse for during baseball season, windier, colder, it was freezing. Yes. You go to a night game at candlestick. It was freezing. Yeah. And then in football season, you know, the, the, they, they got the, the turf there. The, the grass was really bad in the early days, but just the fact that it's, it was natural grass, uh, you know, players like that. And then unlike Levi Stadium, the players only have to look at that thing or you back in the day, they only had to look at it one day a week or one day every two <laughs> weeks, I guess, during the season. Right. You know, they would, they would bus up there. They'd play the game and then they'd go home. Uh, and or, that was or it. go out in San Francisco. Or go out in San Francisco as some, as some players did and, uh, <laughs> learned to regret. But anyway, <laughs> so it, it wasn't like, I mean, Levi Stadium is the home of these guys now. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're locker room. That's their locker room seven days a week, you know, mm-hmm. whereas in the candlestick days, you know, it was only their locker room one day a week. Um, so Levi Stadium is a much more, I certainly want to call it cozy, but a much more, uh, inviting place, you know, to have your seven day a week home or workspace, whereas Candlestick, uh, you know, simply could not have, have, uh, accommodated everything that a player needs or a team needs to be there, you know, their, their year round home. Yeah, and one one thing that's that's interesting to me is that you know they the design of Levi's Stadium was initially meant for Candlestick Point, 
they were going to build it up there and the side where the the sweet side was going to be fate uh i guess adjacent to the hill and then so you would have that hill providing shade and that design would make a bunch of sense because you know by the second half of games the entire field was covered usually by the third quarter um or at, at least in, in november and december the whole stadium would be would be covered in shade by the by the late afternoon and now there there isn't really any of that and and so you have that complaint and i just wonder you know why they didn't change the design anyway that's i don't know how good of a podcast topic that is but um yeah, I saw you, so switching gears a little bit, and I really enjoy talking nostalgia with you, but, um, switching gears a little bit. I saw you wrote, I don't know if this was a, was a real prediction or, or just something, sometimes we have to make predictions that we don't always believe in. Um, but you said you think the 49ers, or you put the 49ers atop the NFC West this year in 2021 and something you posted today. Um, what's your reasoning behind that? Well, I, I think they're, you know, they're back pretty close to where they were, you know, the, the, uh, in 2019, assuming everybody's, you know, assuming not only everybody is healthy, but everybody stays healthy, which I guess is a big, big assumption. Yeah. And then I, I look at the division and I just, I think there's, you know, there's an opportunity. I, I think it was a lot closer in the division last year than even the record show. What the Fortiners have six wins. The Seahawks, I believe, had twelve wins. But you know, inside the division, with all the stuff the 49ers went through, they were really competitive, you know, inside the division. And I think it's a it's a very thin line between the top of that division and the bottom mm-hmm. of the division. So I, I look at it like, uh, you know, and I know it only, it only counts for three games this year, assuming it's a 17 game schedule, but, uh, you know, Fort Ayers will have three games that theoretically should be easier than, than the other teams. That didn't really factor into it because you, yeah, I mean, the, the whole first place schedule, you know, fourth place schedule, a lot of times it, it ends yeah. up being flipped anyway, but, I, I think the 49ers are in a good spot. And I think that, you know, Trent Williams coming back is, is big. Um, it surprised me that they were able to bring back DJ Jones. Um, I, I think they've, they've done a good job. And I think circumstances play into this. I think they're, they're, a, they were able to keep the, the core of the team together better than I thought they would. And, and maybe they're not even finished yet. And then I also think when you look at it, they have more draft capital than any team in the division. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're in a super spot when it comes to the draft because I mean, they, they literally can take the best player available every time they choose. You know, they, yep. I'm sure at the end of the draft, they would say, Hey, you know, it'd be great to get a slot receiver. It'd be great to, you know, get a, a, a you know, nickel back in waiting, assuming they don't get, uh, K1 Williams back. Hey, let's, uh, let, let's get an interior lineman, but we don't have to, we don't need one until the third day. Uh, let's get a, you know, an edge rusher prospect. I mean, they, they should come out of the draft with maybe a starter. Well, certainly they should have a starter out of it. Maybe two. But it would be a starter or two that's already, um, you know, winning the job over somebody who's a competent starter as it is. Then you have, you know, you factor in the special teams element and, and more speed and all that stuff, uh, for depth. And I, I just think the 49ers are in, in a really good spot where they are right now. And I'm of the opinion that the 49ers don't need another quarterback. Um, I think when Garoppolo is out there, um, he's been pretty good. Yeah. And I, I think that the exception would be, I guess you could say the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, but also I, I wasn't super impressed with him, the one healthy game he played last season, but I just don't know that that's a real good barometer either just because of how weird and disjointed everything was up to that this point. 
Their receivers so. in that game were Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis, and George Kittle well. sprained his knee in the first during yeah. the first half, no, which was that's... which could have been you could blame Garoppolo for that high. Yeah, throw. no, and there and there was a point, um, you know, I was down behind the the end zone and that last, you know, the last drive there. And I mean, I saw very clearly that he had, I think it was Kendrick Bourne in the corner mm-hmm. of that end zone and all he had to do was throw it, but he just kind of held on to it and was unsure of himself. And then by the time he did throw it, it was too late. So that's something, you know, Jimmy hasn't had great luck and I'm not just talking about the injuries. I mean, last year would have been his first full off season or, you know, the first one, I guess the first full off season since 2018 where he was healthy. Um, you know, he, he had a good enough grasp of the offense. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, last year would have been the first off season where he could have actually perfected his craft rather than spending the whole off season learning the playbook, which he did in 2018 mm-hmm. or rehabbing, which he did in 2019. And, and yet, you know, last year he didn't have that opportunity because of COVID and, and there was no off season program. So, um, a lot of things have worked against him in, in trying to maximize, uh, you know, his potential or his, his play, uh, and so we'll we'll see. I mean, I don't think there's any question. He's he's on the hot seat this year. You know, th- yeah. this is the year that uh, he has to to do something. He has to stay healthy. Um, and I just kind of go back to what I said. When he's been healthy, when he's been out there, by and large, he's been a pretty darn good quarterback. You now, is he a top eight quarterback in the league? No. But there are only eight of those guys. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I mean, the 40 hours can win with him and they have won with him. And let's also not forget that if the defense doesn't also blow it in the fourth quarter, even if Garoppolo had had the same quarter that he had, but if the defense, you know, had stopped the Chiefs on that third and 15th, it doesn't matter how bad Garoppolo performed in the fourth quarter, the whole, the whole aura around him and the whole perception around him would be completely different than what he'd it is. He'd probably right have now. a new contract by now. He might, right? I mean, he'd be super, <laughs> he, he wouldn't be like, he would be Super Bowl winning quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. All of you know? the, the discussion would be, all right, what does Jimmy Garoppolo have to do to enter the pantheon of Steve Young and Joe Montana? Not how quickly are the 49ers going to get away from Garoppolo? Yeah. And, and so that's, that's what you kind of have to keep in mind too is, I mean, he could have easily, you know, it could have been Nick Bosa, but yeah, it could, I guess it could have been Debo Samuel, but I mean, he, he could have been the MVP of that Super Bowl, even with the same, you know, the same stats that he had, you know, assuming he wouldn't have thrown the interception late in the game. But I mean, he could have easily been the, the Super Bowl MVP. Um, and it wasn't just Jimmy that, that, that yeah. blew that game. I mean, I, I, I put a lot on the defense as well. I, I actually, I put even more on the defense because they, they were the ones who kind of got the 49ers to that point. They were the, they were the ones that the team was relying on to win the game, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily, you know, put it on, put it on your back, Jimmy, go bring home a Super Bowl. No, it was more put it on the back of the, the defense, go win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and I've thought about this and, and I don't know if I, if I would ever get a good answer talking to, to the players because Jimmy is very well liked in the locker room. And I don't think that's fake, right? Like there are some, you know, there, there are some instances where guys will talk to the media and, and say whatever they need to say to, to, you know, put on, put out whatever they think needs to be put out there. But I genuinely think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a, is a key part of that locker room. And, you know, I don't think that. Like the guys trust Kyle Shanahan, but I, I don't think it would be a full on revolt if they moved off of Garoppolo, but I think there would be some head scratching, right? Do, like, do you get, do you get that feel that they might, you know, just kind of say, wow, like Garoppolo gets hurt one year, or I guess Garoppolo gets hurt two years, and then they just move off of him when, you know, we all feel pretty invested with Garoppolo as, as a member of our core and trying to get back to the Super Bowl. Do you, do you think that would rub the locker room the wrong way? 
if the 49ers did move on? No, I don't because okay. I think that they put together a locker room where there's there's not you know there there's not locker room politicians in there. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, they've spent a lot of time and effort to get that locker room right. And that locker room was not right uh through a good number of years leading up to that and in 2017 you know they they got rid of some guys uh and in 2018 they they got rid of some guys so it took it took some effort to get it right and i don't think you know a guy like let's just say Kyle Uzcheck i don't think he's going to yes he's he's full on supporting Jimmy Garoppolo but we see it around the league all the time i mean everybody knows the business side of it and whoever the new quarterback coming in Trust me, whoever that would be, if Kyle Shanahan, you know, sells it to his team, this is why we're doing it. This is what he can bring. Then the first people in line behind Kyle Shanahan would be George Kittle and, and Kyle Juszczyk and Trent Williams and, and everybody else. I mean, I, I look back, the, the closest that that ever happened, and I mean, there was obviously, I wasn't around in the Steve Young, Joe Montana days, but in 20, 12, when Alex Smith got off to the best start of his career, he was having a career year. I think, I think that last start might have been like a Monday night game against the, the Cardinals where he completed like 21 of 22 pass attempts. He was NFC player of the week, all that stuff. And then the next game, uh, he gets a concussion and he never gets back into the starting lineup with the 49ers. And I remember the player who was most upset and I would go so far as to say angry about it was Joe Staley. And, you know, a lot of it was that, well, A, he was a really good friend of Alex Smith. Um, but also, you know, he lived it. He lived through those bad years. He saw how Alex Smith kept everything together and Alex Smith and I mean, not to, to say anything bad about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I mean, Alex Smith earned everything and, and had the ups and the downs and really kind of set the tone for everything, uh, in that transition from the Fernandes being laughing stocks to them being one of the better teams in football. And, and Joe, you know, to his credit, expressed his displeasure with Harbaugh, Harbaugh, you know, explained to Joe, you know, listened, explained, and got Joe, you know, back on the on the right page, on the same page. I mean, Joe never liked it, but Joe then became a, a very, you know, adamant supporter of of Colin Kaepernick because that's who Joe is. You know, Joe's not going to create waves. Joe's going to do what's in the best interest of the football team, and I think. I think the 49ers have a bunch of Joe Staley's right now where they would, you know, they might not like it. Uh, they would stay in contact with Jimmy as long as he's returning text messages. Unlike apparently he does with, with George Kittle, but, um, <laughs> but no, I, I think that Kyle Shanahan has enough credit built up and everybody in the building knows how good Kyle is at his job that they would understand and they would, it wouldn't impact the team in any way. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So do you think, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll get out of here on this. This has been great, but we'll, we'll get out of here on this. Do you, do you think there's going to be any splashy moves that they make from now until the start of training camp? Like you, is the splashiest move probably aside from the draft? Is it probably going to be signing Fred Warner to, to a big contract or do you think, um, you know, something, something big is, is, is coming or, or are they mostly set? I, well, I would think they're mostly set. I, I do think, you know, what you said is, you know, the most likely scenario is the eve of the day that the 49ers get on the practice field for the first time in training camp with pads on that Warner comes trotting out with a new contract. But I guess the thing that, I mean, I just don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback position um, in that John Lynch has 
put it out there that, you know, they want a better backup, uh, you know, a better stable of backup quarterbacks or better, or better options if Garoppolo, uh, cannot play. And so I, I don't think they have that right now. I mean, you know, three years ago, if, if Josh Rosen or whatever, yeah, three <laughs> years ago, if Josh Rosen, was on the 49ers roster, I think we'd all feel like, oh my God, you know, they have the best quarterback situation in football. They have a starter and then they have Josh Rosen, you know, a top 10 draft pick as the backup. I don't think that anybody now can look at it and say, oh, they're set with Josh Rosen as the backup when yeah. you consider that he was the number four, not number two or number three, but the number four quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last season. Behind the- Blaine Gabbert. Behind Blaine Gabbert and I, I can't even remember who, who's the other guy. Like Ryan Griffin, I, I think that might be right. Uh, I'd be actually, lying if I told you I knew. Well, I uh, <laughs> please nobody Google that. But uh, look, some guy named Ryan or Griff, I don't know, whatever. So, so you would think that the 49ers are going to do something at the quarterback position. I frankly didn't see how Flacco was going to be an upgrade over Nick Mullins or, or CJ Beathard. So yeah. that would be the, that would be the one thing still out there. Do you think it would be an adequate upgrade to say draft a quarterback in the second round? No, I don't because, oh, interesting. well, no, I just, I mean, who's, who's going to be there in the second round and uh, it, Davis Mills. Yeah. I wasn't real. I don't know. I'm, I'm not real gung ho on that. Because okay. then, I mean, is Davis Mills as a rookie? I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? The rookie being the backup quarterback. I mean, so many, I mean, look at Jordan Love, you know, and maybe, yeah. I mean, Davis Mills does not have much experience, you know, as a college quarterback. Jordan Love is a player that the Packers traded up to get in the first round when you already had Aaron Rodgers and he never suited up for a game. All of last season, because this isn't an easy offense to learn, um, the, you know, the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur offense, um, Sean McVay, all that stuff. So I, I don't know if, if you take a quarterback after the first round, is he going to be somebody that you think you can develop into a starter down the road? And I think it's too much of an ask to think that a guy can come in as a rookie, get very few practice reps because all those reps go to the to the starter and then expect him to be an upgrade over what you've had at the backup position. So, yeah, I'm not really I'm not really sold on that one either. Okay, so I got I got a question for you. Is, Is this Trent podcast Wal- ever going to end? Do you know well, that I he- go to bed early? Gosh. <laughs> Let me ask you one more. Is Trent Balky too petty? To trade with the 49ers and I, I, what I'm asking is, do you think Gardner Minshew is a possibility? Well, do you know that I, Trent Baalke is here right now? Hey, hold on a second. Hey, oh, Trent, he is? It's, it's I'll put him Peterman. on. Is that Peterman? Hey, Chris, Trent Baalke here from Jacksonville. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice. Trent, how's it going? How are you liking the new digs? Uh, shut up. <laughs> Oh, he just he just left. I think. You oh said man, I had I had all sorts of Urban Meyer questions I was going to ask, but <laughs> um, is he too petty? I, I no, I don't know. I think. I mean, does he? Would he feel like if he, would, would he feel like he's doing the Forty Hours a huge favor by sending Gardner Min- Minshew to him? Um, so I I don't I don't think so. But okay. if you're the Forty ers I mean, what would you give up to get? Gardner Minshew and a does fifth? he have, what's that a fifth round pick a fifth round pick okay is that something that the Jaguars would would want yeah um yeah I don't know I mean does he I don't know if that moves the needle I guess it's better um I guess it's better than what they've had um I mean, I guess that's possible. I mean, I, it would be interesting to see if the Jaguars end up with uh, C.J. Beathard. I know they had him in uh, recently for a workout. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the 49ers certainly have an, an opinion of Gardner Minshew because they worked with him mm-hmm. for a week at the at the Senior Bowl. So, 
Um, I guess we're assuming the 49ers, you know, to even talk about this, we assume the 49ers like him. And I, I don't know that they do. Um, I could see where, you know, he does have some of those qualities that, that Kyle Shanahan likes, but I just don't know that they would want to give up a whole lot, uh, to get him when, what is he? Is he entering his fourth year or entering his, I'm just trying to think where he is on his contract. Um, and you know, that all plays into it as well. Of, um, so that's a, he, that was, uh, 2019, so he's only two years in. So they'd get him for two years on the contract, but um, yeah, six round pick, six round pick, yeah. So I guess, I mean, you had your opportunity to ask Trent Balky just now, and you you, you blew that one. Man, Trent was in and out. Yeah, he was in and out. I, I'm um, so glad he made an appearance. I, I was not expecting that. At all. Yeah, neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not going to take up any of your time. We're going to call it quits here. Um, I initially planned on this being like 20, 25 minutes, and then we went down the, the Keysar and Candlestick and all that stuff. So, yeah, um, but I really appreciate it. Three and a half hours later, where we, uh, it's over. <laughs> um, you, you need, you need one of those, uh, analytics that show like how many people start listening to your podcast and then how many people make it all the way through. Well, and, the people who don't make it all the way through are, are really going to regret it because I don't know if, if Trent Balky has made too many podcast appearances. He hasn't. And the other part would be if we we're going to tie this all together, I think anyone who makes it all the way through this podcast deserves a Croix de Candlestick. Oh, I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. Okay, well, let me yeah. educate you a little. For baseball games <laughs> sure. back in the 80s, the Giants decided to embrace just how bad Candlestick Park was. And so any game, any night game that went extra innings, and if you stayed to the end of an extra inning night game, as you left the stadium, as you went back through the turnstiles or the, you know, the, uh, the gates, they would hand you this, this button that said Croix de Candlestick. And it was like, uh, it basically was, I, I came, I saw, I survived. And it was, <laughs> it was kind of a, a badge of honor, but it was the marketing department that decided we got to somehow turn, you know, turn people, uh, coming into Candlestick Park as like this heroic act. And so <laughs> so that's where where I'm going at with your your podcast here. That's Chris, that, that if you stayed through all of this nonsense, it's a heroic act. That's awesome. Okay, one final question. Uh one what, final what, question. Yeah, this what's is the like best the, This is the 10th final question you asked me. I I want I I want to know what beer you're drinking right now. Or not right oh. now, but that you have in your fridge. Um, that's a really good question because, um, I have, I, I have so much, or I've, I've drank so many different kinds of beers, uh, as you are, I'm an IPA guy. Mm-hmm. And the, the last beer that I had is, uh, from Shadow Puppet in, I believe it's Livermore and it's called Loopy, L-L-U-P-I, Lupi, Loopy. Um, and it's, it's very good. Um, but I have a, a bunch of friends, well, three friends. We, we have this beer club that has been going on since almost the first, I mean, it was the very first part of COVID where we deliver, we find, uh, IPAs, West Coast IPAs, can't be hazies, and we deliver, you know, kind of under the radar beers or beers that we've never drank or heard of all that often. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the one before that I had was Gilman, a quarter panel. But you know me, Chris, I am all about Hen House in Santa Rosa. I do like your buddies up at Cooperage. Yep. Um, and, and also Ghost Town in Oakland is, I mean, I just, I haven't had any, anything bad that those, those folks have done. That's great. That's great to hear. All right. Well, thank you very much, Matt. We are getting out of here now. Uh, you can find Matt on Twitter um, and NBC Sports Bay Area. He's all over the television and on 49ers Talk, the podcast that you host. Oh, that's right. And, uh, Chris, thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. I enjoy our interactions. I think what we did today was we basically made up 
uh, in one day for all of the face-to-face interaction that we that we did not have last year. That's a, that's a really good point. I feel like I've seen Branch on the golf course a couple times, but other than that, I feel like I've been completely completely away from uh, from all the buddies on the beat. So it's good to talk to you, and thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.